Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be talking uh, for the next 20 or so minutes about three important matters in and around the hotel investment space. My name's Chris Bowne. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined, as usual, by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of uh, Hotel Analyst. And we are going to start with the excitement of some more new hotel brands don't we just love more hotel brands? And here we are. We've got all the way through January, just about, and two more pop up. So we have um, a new one from Hilton. They've come up with a, something they're calling Spark, which I think we could safely say is an economy brand. And it looks very much uh, tilted at kind of trying to pick up some of those conversion opportunities, uh, primarily at least to begin with uh, in the US. And then we've also had uh, news from Accor. They've uh, launched another collection brand. It'll be their third collection brand. It's called the Handwritten Collection. But it does look like this one's going to be much more aimed at a more broader market and they are targeting quite a, a large scale growth for this brand. Uh, and they reckon they've already got 800 keys signed and some sites already good, ready to go and up and running. So. While uh, we've got uh, Hilton apparently going down market and looking for into a space which they previously haven't been terribly interested in, uh, we've got Accor heading firmly into the middle market and help aiming fairly and squarely to get those uh, hard-pressed um, three and four-star hoteliers on board, the kind of guys who are feeling probably a bit squeezed at the moment and will very much relish the idea of a big distribution machine that can keep delivering them more and more guests. So there we go. That's our start of the brand editions for 2023. Andrew. And there'll be, yeah, there'll be more to come. Um, there will be more brands to come. I can confidently predict that. Um, and I think the a place to start when discussing this is to ask the question who are hotel brands for oh. um now this might be a daft seemingly <laughs> daft question but i mean in fact i think there are two distinct audiences mm -hmm. um there's the the guests the most obvious one but there's also property owners yeah and i think for the asset light hotel brand global majors um the owners are is is the most critical for them if you think in terms of the asset light business model there's um three drivers within that you've got uh revpar you've got royalty rate and you've got net unit growth that nug and if you look at that really guests are the principal driver of revpar but for royalty rate and net unit growth it's owners you're going to have to deal with um i mean obviously you've got a um, deliver the guests for those owners um, but really the first cons you know people you're talking to in terms especially for uh, for your nug it, it are owners um, so I think the brands you know are, are very clearly focused on that just as much as they are with um, um, the guests piece um, so uh, it's interesting so with with Hilton um, so what is the the offer here well I think this is great opportunity from the point of view they're not in that economy limited service market you know in the in the sort of travel lodgy premier in space for the UK mm. um, um, not that spark I think will be coming to Europe um, just yet um very much a u.s um operation i think so i suppose yes they're up years. against they're up against some of the choice 
brands, aren't they? And uh, probably yeah. going head to head with some of the Wyndham brands as well, more. Yeah. Um, but for, for, for Spark, I think it's that Hilton association which is the critical bit. It's that Spark by Hilton. And the key bit there is to be able to smash it out of the park in terms of its appeal with owners. And I think they can. Um, and should be able to really do that especially um, at the beginning when it's seen as you know the new product exciting product that will appeal to guests and will appeal to to owners um, who just as much get excited about being you know the the first ones to be daubing their um, property with um a, a new sexy new um colors yes um, the spark so the I, spark I, palette yeah. <laughs> yes exactly so i mean yeah so i mean you know i think there is a huge amount here and the same is true as you you see all of these uh new brands coming coming in here um i think the really interesting development though is is an accor um and uh, um, this this restructuring we've seen there, particularly in their luxury and lifestyle division. So, as um, just as a recap, um, th this was something that was announced um, in the summer, and the f you know, some more details came out at the beginning of this year. But Acura has basically split itself into two between a division which is dubbed internally as Power Brands, but officially called Premium Midscale and Economy. And the bit I want to talk about now um, is called Luxury and Lifestyle Division. Now that that Power Brands bit is run pretty much like everyone else's. Um, um, sort of division hotel division so in terms of it's all sort of geographic areas and all this kind of stuff but the luxury and lifestyle division is quite different um, it's not run on geographic lines but it's it's got sort of four different bits which are kind of like brand houses and um, CEO Sebastian Bazan sees this as something like a luxury brand company um, such as LVMH mm. and you know so you're going to stay at the Chanel or you're going to stay at the Louis Vuitton or or whatever so or the you know, budget it, yeah yeah, yeah yes. so, um, smelling great yeah 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 exactly so so this this is you know where Accor is pitching this um, and I do you know I, I think they're really onto something with this um, uh, what they they get um, they understand hotel brands are not just about service so you know the old traditional hotel brands bit was about ranking brands um, according to the level of service you can expect so you turn up at uh, Spark um, you know you're not going to get anybody to carry your um, your luggage and uh, um, you'll have a relatively modest room whereas you turn up at uh, um, you know uh, what what's um, the most luxurious hilton brand um conrad oh, Waldorf conrad. astoria there we go yeah conrad, i'd say Waldorf astoria okay. let's go yeah. let's go Waldorf astoria mm -hmm. the Waldorf astoria you would expect some help getting your your bags to your room and you're going to have a nice big room mm. um well that that is by definition almost a commodifi commodification of, of of the structure isn't it whereas actually if you're selling something on the you know the lines of an experience and this really it was started with the likes of ian schrager where he you know had smaller rooms but charged a premium for those smaller rooms um and that got 
real estate investors very excited he wasn't very good at running hotels um i remember waiting three hours for my my room service at the paramount one time Oops. but um but but he, he what, what he was very good at was that development piece and um selling the sort of sexy element of it um and creating a a story around it and selling an experience to the guests and this is where i think this luxury and lifestyle division is is you know that's what it's trying to to target um um accor with with this approach so it's it's very much on that and it's very much about um not service but um experience and it's this whole you know you get into this whole stuff we've talked about many times before and i think you're probably ahead of me already chris maslow's hierarchy of oh, needs yes, the triangle. Uh, mm. yes yes or pyramid or whatever yep yeah. yep yeah, yeah, it's that um and at the peak of that uh, pyramid um we're talking about where hotel brands are heading now um to to be delivering self-actualization delivering meaning to consumers and this is the point at which the the best car brands are so i mean you you look at something like uh, the difference between a skoda and an audi now they're all built on the same um volkswagen platforms but they're very different they deliver very different experiences to their customers and this is what uh uh the best uh, hotel brands are trying to do now as well and this is where you know accor in particular has structured its uh, its operations to to deliver that within its uh, luxury and lifestyle uh, uh, division so if, if if we we think about where we've been um in terms of the hotel sector so you know marriott when it absorbed um starwood it suddenly had you know previously it had relatively straightforward collection of brands and then it just had a whole humongous muddle mm. of brands and even worse has been um accor in terms of all the stuff they've been buying left right and center but i think if you think about it in this in this brand houses pitch i think it makes um a lot more sense actually um and i think that the, the the struggle with the big global majors has well how do we make these sort of experiential brands these boutique brands um how do we actually deliver them effectively now um about 20 years ago there was this huge row at an investment conference between Jürgen Bartels who was then running Le Meridien chain which was at the time backed by uh, Guy Hans um and Nimura, and of course, went spectacularly bust in 2001. Um, that that, that uh, the row Bartels had with uh, Gordon Campbell Gray, um, and Gordon Campbell Gray, who's a boutique hotelier, believes that small is beautiful, um, doesn't like the idea of you know saying, look, you can't have big properties and you can't have lots of hotels because that is um completely antithetical to the whole notion of what boutique hotels is well from an investor perspective that's not great that that means you can't actually um deliver economy of scale you can't have big rollouts um so this is you know to try and try and square that circle this is where accor are coming in with its luxury and lifestyle division to maybe finally just deliver that um and i think they could be onto something it is certainly something i'm going to be watching with interest um just as 
we see loads and loads more brands launched over the next year or two. Now, those big international brand companies, how many of them have actually got a hostel brand as part of their portfolio? Well, perhaps not enough. We've been having a quick look at the uh, hostel marketplace um, and uh, just eyeing up how things are going there. Uh, actually, the, 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 the niche has bounced back quite well. Um, We've got Hostel World, who've recently put out some figures, and of course they act as an OTA dedicated to that sector. Um, things have bounced back very nicely. And then um, some of the bigger players in that space, uh, for example, A&O, who are spread all the way across mainland Europe, um, d recently declared some numbers, uh, their best year yet. Um, revenue doubling year on year. Uh, and uh, you know they're, they're playing all sorts of um, investment backed by their PE owners uh, into improving their portfolio of properties by um, really doubling down on um, energy efficiency, which will you know pay back in terms of lower rain costs and so on, as well as obviously being able to then uh, shout to their their young consumers, their young guests, about how green they are and how uh, environmentally aware they are. Um, but one, one thing that sort of struck me when we were having, a, I was having a look at uh, s some of the runners and riders in this space is that obviously with private equity involved, but also some highly leveraged, adventurous investors involved, we do have a situation where some of these uh, businesses, despite actually being good good performers off the back of the pandemic are actually effectively in play and up for sale um we've got uh, generator which uh sounds like it may be being uh diced into a uh, an opco and a propco uh and, and some of this sold off um but uh, generator a very strong brand they've recently started buying into management contracts uh, rather than purely uh owning and operating uh and then we've got uh, one or two others, equally kind of interesting situations. Um, we've got Mininja, um, the, the hostel hybrid model, um, which was up for sale prior to the pandemic, seems to be quietly getting on with things at the moment. And all, of course, all these brands are still looking to grow as aggressively as they can afford to, as they look to stake out um, the, the the pace, particularly across Europe, where the the hostel market is very very strong and hostels are effectively understood by travelers um, and um, you know the, all going hell for leather to to st get those stakes in the ground get those uh, properties signed up uh, one, one, one actually of, of the big brand groups that has actually already got uh, effectively a hostel brand on side is of course uh, uh, Accor via Ennismore their um, lifestyle division which has got Joe and Joe um, and that is expanding quite effectively internationally uh, they recently signed a site in um, in Mexico for example which will be opening uh, next year so um, all's well in the in the in terms of operationally in the in the hostel space uh, but potentially some interesting businesses in play through this year yeah I think the big news here is that generator um acquisition uh rumored by pai partners have not confirmed it yet but there's been enough um, speculation to suggest that this there is definitely um a, a deal sort of just about over the line um so the price talked about is 650 million euros um now on, on the 
a bit of sort of gossip on the sidelines is suggesting that it's a it's making something like 35 million euros at the moment EBITDA so it's something like an 18 times multiple which is pretty punchy I think in this climate where we know where there's an absence of debt and where there's a lot of fears about uh, um, um, quite where the market is heading um, that you've got uh, a seasoned investor like PAI coming in to, to buy generator I think is very good news for this subsector um, now I think the appeal to PAI now that they um, did the B&B deal which they flogged to um, Goldman Sachs um, did well on that and they also bought that um, Dutch um, holiday park thing Roompot um, probably pronounced that wrong um, and a again they exited that um, with a, a tidy profit they sold that to KKR um, so I, I think you know what is it that PAI like I suspect it is this uh, um, that the, the very high profitability when measured on a per square meter basis um, this is the big appeal of of hostels and getting them right they can deliver that higher yield that higher profitability um, and I think this is where they see the, the potential here and they're gonna throw a bit of cash in it tide it up as they normally do um, with both B&B &B and Rumport they they put money in grew them quite rapidly um, in the case of B&B &B, they did a few acquisitions um, including a, a nine strong German portfolio um, and they that particularly they, they like investing in in the digital side they think that's a big area where they can make some quick wins um, in both B&B &B and Rumport it's like a barely three years they held them for but you know even less than the usual five-year um, cycle for most private equity so I, I, but I do think this is going to uh, shine a spotlight on the whole hostel piece and uh, rev things up a little and it's uh, going to be a, an exciting uh, subsector to watch now for our third piece this week we're going to uh, drift off to Spain and Andrew you were a, a, a recent hotel owners conference over in Madrid I was. It was Hoftel's Atlantic Ocean Hotel Investors Snappily Summit. named. Um, yes, indeed. Yes, yes. It's rather um, big mm. geographic mm. area as well. Actually, if you think about it, so mm. it's it's, <laughs> it's yeah, pr pretty much uh, a good portion of the world there um, potentially. Um, but inevitably, so um, if if we cast um, our minds back, it's only a week or two ago now, but. Um, um, it was still very much doom and gloom we were coming off the back of all of that doom and gloom just before christmas when you know um the world was going to hell in a handbasket apparently in terms of the economic projections and so forth um already in the last few days we've got much more optimism hitting the market but not surprisingly the general mood was a sort of one of um I wouldn't say confusion, but one of um, well, you know, uncertainty. Um, nobody was quite sure what the heck is you know we have ahead. There's a lot of talk in terms of inflation, the challenges of inflation, um, particularly in terms of costs. A lot of discussion about whether. Um, 
we were going to be able to as as an industry to keep putting our rates up sufficiently to counteract these cost uh, increases and there's a real division there on that one some people saying yes inflation's our friend others saying no this time is different we're not going to be able to keep pushing up our rates like that um and quite a bit of mocking of the uh, uh, the economic forecasts not surprisingly and it's difficult not to laugh at some of them because they have been all <laughs> over the show and they keep Sorry, changing should be laughing, should I? um yeah. so yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right to laugh and but i mean yeah i think you've got to take a step back and and you know this constant news flow and and just try and take a sort of more you know you've got this kind of scatter plot going on at the moment and i think you've just got to take a more steady line drawn through that scatter plot and be a bit calmer about where we are and i think we have been saying for some time on hotel analyst this is the mother of all mm. recoveries we're seeing a super strong recovery um we've been saying look rates are shooting through the roof and there was evidence at this uh, um both from hot stats and str again showing what a great year 2022 was um so much better even than we thought actually in terms of how how sharp the recovery how strong the recovery has been so why is this all suddenly going to fall off the edge of a cliff just as we are seeing just tentative signs of a turn in terms of this cycle now in terms of the economic cycle so you know the bank of england came out we're recording this on what thursday night and um, the bank of england announced on thursday that he was putting uh, interest rates up to uh, 400 basis points a 50 basis point um hike um but it signaled it probably it's getting towards the end of its rate hikes um there might be one more in there to take it to four and a half percent but we, we, we might get to four and a half percent by the summer but that isn't baked in and so don't expect another hike necessarily the in the, in the next couple of months was the bank of england's uh 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 sort of commentary also it said look we got it wrong uh, last november things aren't quite as doom and gloom as we thought um it's going to be shallower downturn and a shorter downturn then you know they had this really i was like five quarters of downturn or something they were saying just to give us a happy <laughs> christmas didn't they um so and 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 all oh, they're they're backtracking on all that now um and again you know and they're saying look inflation's gonna get down to about four percent by the end of this year now um we've been saying on hotel analyst now we're not economic forecasts this is just looking at all the other bits of data out there that inflation is going to come down it's going to come down quite rapidly and quite fast we've already seen how a lot of the things that cause inflation to hike have already come way off so um, gas prices um, uh, petrol prices um, oil the oil prices all come down quite significantly um, the big thing has been food prices so we had this uh, cga prestige food service price index um for the uk said it went up 24 percent while inflation was 24 percent in the month of december um which is astonishingly high but 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 um if we look at where global food prices this is a strong lead indicator um they're in the ninth consecutive month of decline um this is according to the united nations mm. food price index um 
and we've been pointing this out for six months plus that the, the, you know that that this has been heading down and saying you know yes there's a lag in all of this but if you look at these leading indicators it it's looking pretty good for the end of this year and i really you know barring some you know major issue uh, it's very difficult to see why this isn't going to be the case and i think you know so we're seeing potentially interest rates topping out before um, a lot earlier than anticipated i mean we were talking about base mm. rates up to like six mm. percent yeah, at yeah, one yeah. point weren't we i mean you know now it, it's you know you could say it could even be four mm. percent they top out at and the bank of england's actually saying look they're going to go down um you know start cutting them um the end of next uh, the end of this year so they're saying look but 25 maybe back to 3.25 percent so this is you know good news i think on interest rates good news on inflation um good news on terms of where we are for trading um i think bad news for everybody expecting some massive levels of price correction um the, of course there is the issue there's no question we've had a massive increase in debt costs um but um this is you know the, the the question is how does this feed through into pricing and there's going to have to be some level of repricing no question but are we going to see some massive cratering in prices no um and again we've been saying this the simple reality is that well yes there has to be an adjustment but it's perfectly possible given that we've had this double digit price um in the inflation um that we can actually see nominal prices actually remaining roughly where they are a little bit off perhaps but not massively so um and the weight of money chasing deals is just holding things up um and it's very difficult for there to be a you know what's the catalyst for a for a massive meltdown in prices i just don't just struggle to see what it is and i think this is i think there's really good news for our sector it's not you know everybody typically sees hotels um as you know being like a luxury good they overshoot the averages on the way down and they overshoot the averages on the way up but it does look like the secular growth trajectory that um, travel and tourism is on is going to take us through this um current uh, um challenging situation remarkably well um so i really don't think the doomsters are going to have their day um and i think you know the, the time for their negativity is is really running out and really frankly you know if if this this turning point that we we appear to be having now in terms of the um the downturn is it, 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 as that nears and i think it's going to be here sort of who knows easter i would suggest um you know their time the doomsters time of negativity will now we're going to turn to our five star no star awards for the week and five stars are for the return of yet more evidence of uh the, the new normality looking a bit more like the old normality um we've had some data interesting data from uh, muse who are uh, pms specialists so obviously gather a lot of data from different hotels um and amongst various things they reported in uh, their latest uh, data dive they told us that uh, over the last year the booking window has increased by 11 days from uh well from 20 to 31 days so uh you know that's great news and it finally actually gives ch hoteliers a bit more of a chance to plan ahead rather than just um react from day to day 
yeah reducing that uncertainty piece which i think will help help no end and i think you know um exactly the point i was just making in terms of you know come easter if we've got these this ongoing good news in terms of uh um trading um it's very difficult to see how we can um you know have really bad news in terms of the wider investment and no stars this week go to a, a legal case which is taking uh wing in the thai courts it's between um, minor international as a landlord and marriott as the operator of uh, hotel um the the pair are slugging it out in the thai courts but it's never good when two big hotel groups slug it out in public especially if they're being forced to disclose business information which frankly the hotel sector at large will not benefit from being aired in public. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it will help. Actually, <laughs> I want to know what's going on. I want to know. Um, I mean, this, this, this whole the, the one of the big issues which is now coming up is is how Marriott's been operating its loyalty scheme, and and you know whether it is damaging the interests of the owner. And I think Marriott needs to stop hiding and be a little bit more transparent mm -hmm. about this and make its case because if it is actually damaging um, uh, the owner then uh, i think i think minor has a very strong case to sort of um to to make here um but of course it, it's not always just one way with this you know owners can be bad behave behave badly as well and um i think we've seen that uh, a, a court case which was highlighted uh, uh this week it, um it took place in 21 and uh with ihg um versus green garden development in um who owned a property in sydney and uh, basically ihg got got the heave ho from green garden without coughing up the money that that was legitimately owed under the contract so i think i think these you know both we need um transparency and we need both sides to behave themselves um according to what they, they and on that sanitary note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>